on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on a Thursday, May 11th, 2023. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird with you for the next two hours right here on ESPN 106.7 for the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back in what has seemed to have become uh, pretty much a tradition on Thursday afternoons on this show. We have Lindsey Crosby, who is host of Locked on MLB Prospects, contributor for Auburn Daily, bravetoday.com, uh, whatever else he does that he doesn't tell us about. He is in studio for all of our number one. It is uh, the baseball power hour, if you will. Wait, maybe we could uh, put that on a t-shirt or something. Lindsay, good to see you, man. Good to be here. Glad glad to be seen. And if you uh, want to sponsor the Baseball Power Hour, you know, I am yes. I am for sale. Yes, yes, absolutely. If anybody out there would like to be bringing the Baseball Power Hour, we'd love to get Strong you. Strong uh, start to, to today's show. <laughs> we're uh, Lindsay, we're two Lindsay minutes is selling in. himself on the radio. <laughs> I, am not, I am not above asking for money. Hey, do what you got to do in this business, am I right? Well, hopefully all doing well. We have a great mm-hmm. show on tap for you today. Lindsey Crosby again joining us in the studio for all of our number one. It'll be pretty much the same routine. We'll talk Braves the first 30 minutes and Auburn baseball the second 30 minutes. Uh, both teams are playing very, very well. Uh, the Braves are are doing their thing. Auburn baseball making a lot of noise in the college game. And so we'll cover all things baseball here in hour number one of the Thursday edition of On the Line. And then coming up in hour number two, uh, Carter and I will talk everything going on around Auburn athletics. And then Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. It's Thursday, so he'll join is coming up in hour number two. Lindsay, I just want to point out that, that Jacob didn't really want to talk about the Braves yesterday when the Braves beat his Boston Red Sox, but now today oh. he wants to talk about them. Yeah, that's mm. how that works, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> hey, well, like you know, it's it's good timing for me. So yeah, we can do that. Exactly. That's, that's he that's, was just he was holding it for me for me yeah, being here. That's yeah. What if yeah, we talked yeah, about it yesterday, it. we wouldn't want to talk about it today. So I was just holding off in I respect al- for our guest, Lindsey Crosby. I always want to talk about it, but that's just me. Well, you know, I'm the base. I'm the big baseball guy. That is very true, and and I prefer to talk about my teams when they're winning rather than when they play each other, which is always a tough time of the year. Thankfully, it was a short series for the Braves and the Red Sox. But we're going to talk all things Braves and Auburn baseball with Lindsey Crosby here in the studio for all of our number one. Uh, lots going on around the stations over on 96.3 W. Lee, our sister station here at Auburn Network. Jack Hutton, good buddy of ours, uh, calling Auburn High softball. And so we've been uh, having broadcasts for that all day long. So that's going on right now. You had the Max Roundtable uh, that was on before us and had one of the best interviews you're going to hear in a really long time don't know if you gentlemen heard it. They had Peyton Thorne on today and hey. talked with Peyton Thorne and talked to Auburn's uh, new transfer quarterback. And so uh, we are in the in the works of getting that audio from them, and hopefully we'll be able to play that tomorrow on the show. Uh, if you missed it, it was really, really good. So hopefully we can play that for you tomorrow on the show, Peyton Thorne. Was everybody positive enough about his performance where he has good confidence going into the season? Because I've been told, <laughs> I've been told from listeners oh, of this show funny. and things like that, that if you don't talk positive about them, they're going to be bad. 
and that you directly <laughs> control the success of Auburn football. Yeah, no comment. Oh That'll be goodness. on tomorrow's show. That'll be on tomorrow's <laughs> show as Lindsey comes in hot talking football. But That's uh, amazing. <laughs> Lindsay, you're, you're a, I gotta stay a legend Sorry. of the of the game over here. Yeah, well, Lindsay, we bring you in for your hot takes and your baseball knowledge. And so uh, we will get into talking some baseball here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. If you want to call in and be a part of the show today, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you could call in, be a part, and be on the line. 334 334- 321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. Questions for us, questions for Lindsay. Uh, if you want to talk baseball with uh, the guy who knows it better than anybody, give us a call, 334-321-1390. Lindsay, we'll start with the Braves as we normally do. They are still one of the best teams in baseball. It seems like we say that just about every week. You come on this program, and uh, they're playing really well. They are 25-12 and 12 as they start a series with the Blue Jays coming up this weekend. Yeah, have to bring out the passports heading up to Canada. What's big for me is part of this is the Braves being good. Part of this is the, the, rest, of the, the rest of the division not. But the Braves have the largest divisional lead in baseball right now at six and a half games. And for me, that's really important because the news coming out about in the last week you've lost two of your five guys in your rotation in Max Freed and Kyle Wright both expected to be out for multiple months I mean we're looking at two months uh, Wright's expe- uh, Freed they're looking at they're hoping by after the all-star break they get him back there's been discussion about Kyle Wright with his shoulder he may be out until August wow. and so it's something where I was I was a little bit iffy on that, you know, and and what the impact would be. Obviously, Kyle Wright leads the league in wins last year by 21. Max Fried's the NL Cy Young runner-up. But if you look at what they did last year, together, 60 starts, they went 35-12, and 12, the 2-8-3 ERA in 365 innings. So that's what you have to replace. And it's like you had a lot of rotation depth. You had a competition between four different guys for your number five job in spring training. Ian Anderson, part of that competition, out with Tommy John. Now you have Freed and Wright out, so you're down to Dylan Dodd, Jared Schuster, and maybe Michael Soroka. But the margin for error that the Braves had because they had all this extra rotation depth is gone. Uh, I put up at Bravestoday.com, I put up about 1,100 words on that just today, kind of breaking down Dodd, Schuster, uh, Wright. None of them are, I'm sorry, not right, Dodd, Schuster, uh, Soroka. And there's so many of them, it's hard to keep track. so many arms. And, and the pros and cons of each one, and can Atlanta piece it together without having to make a trade? And I think at least until the trade deadline, you can. But... Yeah, the margin of error is gone. The offense is going to have to hit. They have been doing that, except for that game against your Red Sox yesterday. Other than that, they've been doing pretty well offensively. So you take advantage of the fact you have a big lead. Take advantage of the fact you have a great offense. And let's make it to the trade deadline. Uh, talking about that offense, somebody who's really maybe a little bit slower start in a new place, but really looks unbelievable right now, is Sean Murphy. He's he's stepped into this lineup and becomes such a key uh, cog in the lineup, and I feel like he gets a bunch of clutch hits too. I think uh, MLB Network had him ranked as the number one player that changed teams in terms of like impact on the team. Uh, what have you seen out of him as he's really gotten rolling and he's 
power numbers are are pretty high. It's been really impressive. Yeah, he actually has uh, a higher OPS than Ronald Acuna Jr., which is amazing because we we've been talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. could be the MVP this year. You know, uh, Sean Murphy is second in all of baseball with a 1,040 OPS, and the I, I've had some observations. One. He seems to do better at the plate when he's catching versus when he's DH. And this is a really interesting dynamic. It's backwards. I was about to say, isn't it's that backwards? backwards? Yeah. Usually for a catcher, you would think if you don't have the physical toll of catching on a daily basis, that you are better or more free, you know, more free to to perform at the plate. But for some reason, Sean Murphy does better as a starting catcher than a DH. And he's young enough and skilled enough where he can do that five days a week. You can have him. He can start more games than your average catcher who will get, you know, 100 in the season, maybe 110. Sean Murphy can catch 130 games for you. When Travis Darno was out for almost a month with that concussion on the seven-day con- concussion IL, Murphy started all but two or three of those games that Travis Darno was out. And then in two of the three he didn't start, he was a DH. And hmm. so he can, he's one of the rare catchers who can play almost every day. The defense, uh, he's one of the better defensive catchers in baseball by all the metrics, whether it's pop time, whether it's, it's framing, it's uh, caught stealing, blocking, all of that. He is a complete player, and it's just, I don't know why more teams weren't willing to trade some prospects to yeah. get him last year. Uh, it was something where the, the Cardinals had a good chance, the Rays had a good chance, neither one of them were willing to pull the trigger on the prospects, and Atlanta did. And uh, we're talking about this in tomorrow's Locked on MLB Prospects, but uh, if you regrade the trade, Atlanta moves from an A to an A+. It seems like with a guy that plays that much catcher and can do it borderline day day in, day out, Mm -hmm. I think the question becomes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the question becomes how long can he do that? I mean, how long can a guy sustain this level of play doing a little bit of everything. Uh, that's what comes to mind for me, in, in a, especially at the catcher spot. How long can this guy do this? Well, when you dive into some of the advanced numbers behind it, it it's not fueled by anything weird. It's not like he has an unusually high average on balls in play. It's not fueled by some sort of unsustainable contact rate or anything like that. That's a small sample size kind of thing. I What it feels like is going to happen to me is the Braves are going to be very conscious, and they talked about this in the offseason. They're going to be very conscious about, through the summer, finding ways to build him in a break. Maybe it's uh, you know a three-game series, he catches game one, and then he DHs game two, and he's completely out of the lineup in, day th- in, in game three. Then you have a travel day. He kind of gets a two, two days mm-hmm. off here and there. If you do some... Not to steal from the NBA, but some load management, some try to find some ways to steal him an extra day here and there. It should help him be fresh for most of the entire season. You do have a very capable backup in Travis Darno. Uh, and the big question for me, not to get into that topic yet, but is how are you going to divide time around DH now? Mm-hmm. Because Sean Murphy's playing, going to be starting five days a week. And when he's not starting, you're going to want his bat in the lineup. And so how do you split that time up for DH? But uh, it's just some some smart load management. You know, find a, find a day game with an off day afterwards. Let him take the day game completely off so he gets two days of rest. Things like that, I think, to keep him fresh. Well, then that's when you just put in Marcelo Zuna as the designated hitter, Lindsay, who started off the month of May the hottest hitter in baseball. He owned baseball in the first week of May. <laughs> Did he own baseball or own Miami? Uh, he, 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 did, 
he did pretty decently outside of Miami when it first started. I think he hit a home run outside of Miami, but you know, he just he owned Miami and some of that is, you know, he he used to play there, he still lives there, they traded him away. And so that's a little bit of emotion. If they were smart, they'd trade back for him and get him now just so they could try to harness some of that. Just in case anybody from Miami is listening right now. You, yeah. just, you need to make a trade for Marcelo Zuna. This guy, hey, this guy's on the up and coming, huh? When got- he was there, <laughs> when he was there for that three or for that three game series, he went six of thirteen with three home runs and six RBIs. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I mean, and since then he's gotten, I think, two more hits and like fourteen at bats. But in Miami which the Braves go there, I think, once more this entire season. In Miami, he's unstoppable. Hmm. He's hitting 333 this year against the Marlins and uh, save a one-for-four outing against the Red Sox. He is hitting the next highest is, uh, I think, 111 against another any other team on the schedule so far. Yeah, so I mean, that sounds that. sounds about right for and half of his home runs and, <laughs> and six of his, uh, or actually six of his 10 RBIs. Uh, have all been against the Marlins. <laughs> yeah, it's Marcelo Zuna is just, I don't know. We all know what he is, and he had a good series against the Marlins, but it's just he is what he is. And so, Lindsay, when we look at the NL East right now, it's the Braves and then everybody else. With that Marlins team, believe it or not, they're in second place because the Phillies are in third with one game below five hundred. The uh, Washington Nationals at the very bottom, nobody expected them to do a whole lot anyways. But the biggest story is the New York Mets. They're 18-20 and 20 this year, two games below 500, seven and a half games back from the Atlanta Braves. What's going on in New York? So it's been a couple issues. One, the offense has felt very home run dependent. And specifically, it's been Pete Alonso. If Pete Alonso doesn't hit a home run, the Mets are in trouble. If you take away... You're like, telling me a New York team is home run uh, dependent? That's shocking. Yeah. Uh, once you take away Pete Alonso's 13 home runs, the next highest hitter on the team is Francisco Lindor with six, and then nobody else has more than three. Jeez. I mean, it is it is hitting for power. They are just not able to do it consistently. And so you have that handicap on offense combined with the fact that you have spent a ton of money on all of these pitchers that have really not done a lot. I mean, Max Scherzer has, I want to say, five games this year. His ERA is five and a half. Justin Verlander has pitched exactly twice for this team. And you've had a lot of fill-in starts from guys like Joey Lucesi, David Peterson. I mean, guys that you were not expecting to throw meaningful innings. Uh, your, your, your leader in starts is David Peterson and Tyler Meagill. And they were talking about Meagill as like a good guy out of the bullpen this year. As a swingman, uh, nobody in this rotation has an ERA plus over 100, meaning they've at least even been average. And the one that is, is Cody Singa. And he started off very hot because nobody knew what a ghost fork ball was. But now that we've seen it a few times, he's starting to get hit around a little bit. And so hmm. you combine an offense that is very home run reliant and not getting them with a pitching staff that has been just completely decimated with injuries. And you have a team that is on the outs right now and is digging themselves a hole. I mean, they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They're digging a hole kind of like Atlanta did last year where even if the Mets get hot, they have to have so much of a better pace than Atlanta does mm-hmm. just to catch back up. And it, Atlanta used so much energy catching the Mets last year. I mean, they, they caught a 100-win team last year. 
that they were a little bit gassed when the playoffs got here and they got bounced by the Phillies. So I guess my kind of looking at the Mets and looking around the league, why are we seeing so many of these big-name teams that have been good here in recent years struggle out the gates? I mean, the Blue Jays and Yankees are in the bottom of that division. The White Sox have always had a bunch of talent. They're struggling a little bit. The Guardians are below 500. The Astros, the Mariners are right around 500. The Phillies, the Mets. The White Sox. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and then you've got the Giants and the Padres. And then the weirdest one of them all, what on earth is going on with the St. Louis Cardinals? So, and I have not, so cl- up front, I have not checked all of these numbers and ran all of this, but my theory is a lot of those teams you mentioned, not all of them, but a lot of the teams you mentioned, the Cardinals especially, are teams with old rotations. They're mm-hmm. pitchers that are in that are uh, over thirty. They're in their upper half of their career. They're, they're back their back half of their career, and they're struggling with the pitch clock. They're struggling with the less amount of time that they have between pitches, between innings, uh, as as far as being able to conserve their energy to make it through the start, be able to have enough energy from pitch to pitch to make their pitches. They're struggling to adjust. Exactly. They're they're struggling to, well, they're struggling mentally with the adjustment, and they're struggling physically with the lack of time. Uh, baseball players, on average, the older you get, the more time you tend to take between pitches, between uh, uh, stepping in the box for hits, whatever it might be. And so these teams that have these older rotations, for the most part, the Guardians are, that's an offensive issue. But for the most part, a lot of these teams we're talking about, the Yankees are struggling, uh, the Blue Jays, the Mariners, they have a couple youngsters like Bryce, like Bryce Miller, but they also have some older guys like a Robbie Ray. Uh, a lot of these teams have older pitchers that just aren't handling the transition to the pitch clock well. That's interesting. That That's a really interesting uh, hypothesis, and I'm sure you're you're pretty spot on with that. And yeah, Carter mentioned just some of the biggest names that have been successful the in recent history. The Cardinals have a ton of talent. Have what the NL MVP and are 12 games below 500 right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean it's they're one, crazy. They're they're one of the worst teams in baseball right now. Yeah, like from a from a from a a record standpoint, they are. Washington, the Washington Nationals, who we did not expect at all to contend for anything this year, uh, have won three more games and lost four less games than the St. Louis Cardinals. That is but wild. Every Saint, if I remember right, every St. Louis Cardinal starter is over the age of thirty. Yeah, I mean, Except and you have you have Wainwright coming off injury. He's only throwing 40. one. He's forty one. He's forty one. Yeah. <laughs> Been in this yeah. game forever. Well, and yet, people wow. who watch Locked in the Movie prospects will know you have prospect Matthew Liebertor in AAA, absolutely killing it right now. Call him up. Yeah, it's, it's time. Not, it's not great when you look down and the only teams below you are the Kansas City Royals and the Oakland A's. Yeah. Kansas City Royals old rotation. Oakland A's just don't have any talent. And it's just, it's Oakland. <laughs> and so don't care about Oakland. being in Oakland and want right. to be anywhere else? It's yeah. in Oakland. Well, I want to talk about that because we got some more news with that. Plus, looking at the other divisions in baseball where one division from top to bottom is better than the best team in another division in baseball. We'll talk about that when we come back. Give us a call. 334-321-1390. Lindsey Crosby joining us here for the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. 
Back inside the studio at ESPN 106.7, I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Byrd, and we are joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for all of our number one. Lindsey, uh, before we talk about uh, the American League East in comparison to the American League Central, uh, let everybody know where they can keep up with all that you've got going on with your Locked On, with Auburn Daily, with Braves Today. Uh, let everybody know where they can find all your stuff, man. Oh, man, the, the central hub for everything is Twitter. I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, but for there, locked on locked on MLB prospects, the number one daily minor league baseball podcast. We're hey, podcast and on YouTube. You can find the Auburn baseball writings at auburndaily.com. And then I am the editor in chief of bravestoday.com. Uh, both of those are through Sports Illustrated. Uh, so covering college baseball, covering prospects, and covering major leagues. Again, you can find all of that stuff through me at Crosby Baseball. And we will get to college baseball coming up in just a few minutes at 2 30. But before we do, We've been talking Braves. We've been looking around Major League Baseball. And the biggest storyline, in my opinion, is the American League East. When you compare it to the American League Central. Now, I, I want to hopefully I can say this and it makes sense to our listeners. Every single team in the American League East, the Tampa Bay Rays at the top, all the way through the New York Yankees at the bottom, every single one of those teams, they all have a better record than the best team in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins. The Tampa Bay Rays are 29-9, and best record in baseball. They're at the top of the American League East. At the bottom of the American League East are the New York Yankees, believe it or not, at 21-17. and That is still one game better than the Minnesota Twins at 20-17, and who are the leaders in the American League Central. How in the world is that possible, that an entire division is better than the best team of another division? I'll go further than that. Uh, the Yankees are also tied with Pittsburgh for the lead of the National League Central at 21 and 17. I hadn't even noticed that. Yeah. And so the AL East is better than both central divisions. Look, okay. The, the central divisions are not good. And part of the reason why you're seeing this now, they haven't been good for a little while now, but part of the reason you're seeing this is because of the balanced schedule. What MLB did this year, it's start, starting this year, the idea is, if you are a fan of, let's say, the Atlanta Braves, because we all are, um, all of us who have who have good taste, mm-hmm. uh, if you're a fan of the Atlanta Braves, in a two-year span, your team will not only play every other team in the league, but every team will come through your home ballpark. So you have less games against your division. It goes from 19 games versus your division rivals to 12, and you have more games against other teams that you would not normally have played. And so the AL Central and the NL Central don't get to just beat up on each other the entire time. They've had to go out and play more games against other divisions, other teams. And conversely, the AL East has not just beaten up on themselves all season. They've gotten to go out and play other uh, other teams, other leagues. Something else that MLB has done is they've tried to kind of group divisional play into specific parts of the calendar. And so, like, most most teams, not all the most teams open with a divisional opponent. Atlanta went to Washington. And then they try to pack in extra divisional games towards the end of the calendar to try to make the the last couple, like, the last stretch before the postseason meaningful games Mm -hmm. that are interesting because you're playing your division rivals trying to win a... I like that. Yeah. I like that. It's a smart move. But the flip side means early you're playing a lot of... You know, the Braves played the Padres twice. The Braves played the Reds. The Braves played the, uh, the the Royals. They played the Orioles. You play a lot of teams that aren't in your division. And 
in the AL Central and the NL Central, they just keep getting beat by those teams, <laughs> whereas the AL East gets to beat up on everybody else. Every team in the AL East but Toronto, but Toronto has a winning record in their last 10 games. Uh, most of the AL Central, minus I think Detroit, surprisingly, has a losing record in their last 10 games. And it's because right now you're in the middle. Oh, and every team in the NL Central has a losing record in their last 10 games. Nice. Because you're in that big interleague, uh, non-division stretch of, this, of the calendar right now. Well, I think that uh, I saw something that the, the Tigers president uh, says the, the turning point for them was when they benched Baez. And now they've seen them start to show life, which we haven't seen life in the Detroit Tigers since... Miguel Cabrera and Victor Martinez when they were like a good team and not both 40 years old in the early 2000s. Javi <laughs> yeah. Baez, that's a that's an awful contract for like for oh, the yeah. record. Well, but, I, I could have told you that. Javi Baez is like somebody I just wouldn't want on my team ever. Yeah, but 256 right now. He's turning it around Uh-oh. slowly but surely. Uh-oh. Watch out. <laughs> Talking all things MLB with Lindsey Crosby. But when we come back, we'll talk Auburn baseball, the hottest team in the SEC. You are on the line with Jacob Goins. And Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, we're joined by Lindsey Crosby in the studio. We've been talking MLB baseball. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to get to the phone lines in just a second. But we've got Auburn softball here on the TV. Big strikeout right there for Auburn softball. Maddie Pinto, the Tigers Ooh, playing in Fayetteville. Yes, in Fayetteville for the SEC tournament and their first game against Ole Miss. And early on, Maddie Pinta a Bases loaded jam as she strikes her out to get the side. Big, big play from the Tigers on the ma- or on the circle, excuse me. The best stat that comes with that right there is they said, like, reminder, this is the postseason. And they said this is the fourth batter that Maddie Pinta has faced with the bases loaded this season. And not allowed- like in this game, not like in the series. This year and has allowed zero hits. Allowed zero hits. In <laughs> That's situation. insane. That is that insane. Is, is so softball dominance is a whole different level of dominance. Yes, it is. Well, we will keep you updated on Auburn softball today, as they are the three seed in the SEC tournament there in Fayetteville. But let's get to the phone lines three three four three two one thirteen ninety. And Terry, you have a baseball question for Lindsey. I do. Hey, Jacob Carter, how you doing, Lindsey? How you doing, man? I'm good, Terry. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Lindsay, I'm 56 years old, and I grew up in a time when the Oakland A's were a good team, a downright dominant at times. And what is the future of that team? And have they played their last game in Oakland this year or next year? So it'd be to me, it's downright criminal that the city of Las Vegas doesn't have a baseball team. Yeah, it's it's something where the the deal they have for the Coliseum runs out at the end of next year, and so okay. it doesn't per like. Las Vegas isn't going to have a stadium ready for the A's, but the A's could theoretically have to leave Oakland at the end of next season. Now, they just reached an agreement with uh, the company Bally Sports. They have a like an old casino that they closed uh, to build a stadium there in Las Vegas for the A's. I do think they're going to move. This is what they wanted to do. They, they had an opportunity. They're looking for public money. They've asked Las Vegas for $395 million to build a stadium. Uh, they were asking Oakland for a lot more than that. 
Uh, but the the Oakland A's will spend one more year in Oakland because that's the contract requires it, and then they're off to Las Vegas. And I'm curious to see how that's going to work because you play baseball in the middle of the summer. I'm assuming it's going to have to be a domed, enclosed stadium because it's incredibly hot. Are you going to go visit the Oakland A's in Las Vegas? Uh Probably, I probably would. I've been to Arizona. I've been to Diamond, but watched the Diamondbacks before. To me, it's going to be very similar to that stadium they play in, which is an enclosed but has a retractable roof. Yeah, and it's funny because when you go to like spring training games or even to complex league games in Arizona in the middle of the summer, they have to play them in the mornings because because those games, unlike Diamondbacks games, are outside and it gets so incredibly hot. They play a lot of day mm-hmm. games and and morning games or late night games out there in Arizona. But you're going to have to enclose the stadium in Las Vegas. There's just no way to do it without that. Absolutely. I just don't think people realize or remember, maybe I'm telling on myself here my age, but how good this team won three straight World Series in the 70s and was pretty good in the 80s. Everybody remembers the situation between the Dodgers and the Eck, giving up the home run to Kirk Gibson. But that team was really, really good for a long time. They, they, I mean, they have nine World Series championships. They've, uh, they've won the division, I think, 17 times. They've won 15 pennants. And other thing people don't talk about a lot with the A's is they've moved before. They were in Philadelphia when they were started. They moved in 1955 to Kansas City, and then they moved in 68 to Oakland. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they do move one more time. Um, and this site, apparently, I, I just looked it up while we were talking, 35,000-seat retractable roof stadium with an attached 1,500-room hotel and casino uh, in the site, the current site of the Tropicana Las Vegas is what they mm-hmm. is what they're looking at right now. Nice, yeah, not so much because everything's got a casino out there. Oh, <laughs> and nowadays, everything's either got a casino or a sports book attached to it. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a great day. Appreciate it, Terry. You too. Good to hear from you. That is Terry joining us on the phone lines three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Yeah, the A's, man. It, it's just. I mean, it is what it is. It's just it. You hate it for the Oakland fans, but I'm also excited to see another sports team in Vegas because the question, and we're going to get to Auburn baseball in just a second, but the question. This happens every time. It does. It really does. And, and we, we appreciate the calls here. We love hearing from you. But the, the, the narrative around Las Vegas before teams started going there was, can Las Vegas really support a professional team? Like, how many people are actually there, and how many of their residents are actually going to be fans of a sports team rather than it just being a bunch of a bunch of uh, people coming in and visiting and tourists, right? But so far, they've absolutely destroyed numbers. They've destroyed expectations. Like, Las Vegas can support as many professional teams as they want to put there. You've got football. You have hockey. You have I mean, those two things alone have really taken off. And so I don't think baseball or any other sport would be any different. Yeah, and, and hockey was the bigger test to me than football because football games, especially NFL games, you only have 16, 17 of them. They're a big event. Obviously, there's going to be lots of sponsorships involved in companies going by and, and there's passing a lot out of tickets and people in Las Vegas that of, will be gambling on sporting events anyway and exactly. will, and football's wildly uh gambled on so those people might show up you know hockey was a little bit tougher of a sell because uh, the number of games they play 82 games you typically have a couple days between games though so it's something where you know a tourist might be in town for uh you know two games when they're there for a, for 5 days or a week or whatever baseball to me this is going to be really interesting because you just have so much inventory you play 162 games a year and so you'll go 5 or 6 days 5 or 6 days straight with baseball now i do think 
The Las Vegas Aviators, the AAA affiliate of the Oakland A's, has been in Las Vegas for a few years. They do well. They draw well enough, and they do play outside. They don't have an indoor stadium. And so I do think that also kind of showed that this is possible. This can be done. I'm really curious to find out what happens. Do they move the Aviators to Oakland? I was about to say, do they move the Aviators when the A's come to Las Vegas? And then does Oakland just settle for having that as an option? Or do they try to go out and get one of the expansion franchises behind a new owner? That's interesting. Well, look, we could sit and talk about this for for hours, right? But, Terry, we appreciate the call. Great question. I do want to get to Auburn baseball a little bit because they're the hottest team in the SEC. You can make the argument the hottest team in the country right now, boys, about how they went on the road to South Carolina, the number two team in the country, did Auburn baseball, took two out of three, should have gotten the sweep, but you got the series win. Then you come home and you take on the number one team in LSU, and you get that series win as well. The only win you didn't get was against the number two guy in the ML, coming up MLB draft in Skeens. And so, Lindsay, your thoughts on what Auburn baseball is doing right now as they get started in their series against Ole Miss tonight on the road. Ole Miss this weekend, Missouri next weekend, the two worst teams in the SEC. You played mm-hmm. the two best, and now you've got the two worst and a really good opportunity for Auburn baseball to make the postseason. The big thing for me on both of those series is it wasn't just the offense. We've known Auburn's had a good offense. We've seen Auburn put mm-hmm. make, you know, get the big inning plenty of times, put up tons of runs. It was how well Auburn did on the mound. Against South Carolina in the first two games, they give up a total in the first two wins of eight runs. They hold LSU, the number one offense in the country, to 11 runs in three games. While, I mean, and while Auburn scores 20. And that's with Auburn getting held at like a shutout by Paul Skeens. It's something where the pitching staff, it took longer than we wanted. I mean, obviously it did, but the pitching staff has come together a lot better than we could have hoped a month ago when I was on here and we were talking about does this team even make the postseason? And I got a question in my Twitter DMs today. It was like, hey, does Auburn have a chance at hosting a regional? And it's like, well, no, they're not going to do that. But. You're a lot closer to that than you are to not making the postseason just based on how well you're able to take care of business against the top two teams in the country and to do it in such a convincing fashion. You run-ruled the number one team in the country in a game three, Mm -hmm. which has been Auburn's just biggest, biggest problem all year has been finding pitching in game three. You, You win by 10 in eight innings in a game three against the number one team in the country. And Dylan Cruz... The projected number one overall pick gets one hit on the weekend. How about that? So you're playing the two worst teams in the SEC, right? I think record-wise, yeah. or is State behind one of these two? I, f- I forget. The last but. time I looked, it was Ole Miss and Missouri. Yes. Last so, I looked, State was ahead of Ole Miss. They they will remind you of that. You're saying uh, five and one, maybe figure out a way to go six and zero oh and sweep both of these and win a game or two in Hoover. I mean, your RBI sitting at 29. I mean, how how high do you have to get to feel comfortably in the host d- discussion? I think a big part of it is the fact that there's so many more teams ahead of you. It's not so much that uh, you have to get better. It's that the teams in front of you have to stumble, right? You you don't have very many. You don't have any games left against those teams that are going to host. And yeah. so, you know, because you've already beaten LSU, you don't play Vanderbilt, you've already lost the series to Arkansas. And so what you need is you need some of these teams 
that are above Auburn but not super strong seeds, you need them to drop a series or two. So, so like that, an Alabama. I was going to say like an Alabama, like a Connecticut. Which, speaking of Alabama, when is the bottom going to drop out of that? I feel like it is going to be so difficult to sustain things with all the cloud over that program, with Brad Bohannon getting fired, with all of that. Hat, like... When is the other shoe going to drop and that and that going to fall apart? I feel like at this point, if we haven't heard about it yet, it's going to be after the season. It's going to be something where we haven't heard anything. It has to be because there are some sort of uh, deeper, bigger, higher-level investigations going on. And by higher level, I mean involving the feds or something like that. And so that's why we're, we have not heard any news out of there. Because it's not – it's not. Uh, I mean, he got fired – I was on that day, and soon after I got done, we started seeing like, oh, there's surveillance video of seeing him, you know, him talking to a guy in the, in the. How dumb do you have to be? Ah, seriously, that. you call a buddy who calls a buddy who calls a buddy who calls the guy in the book. Hey, supposedly, Tim Donaghy did, did this for years. You can figure out exactly. a way, to, and he didn't get caught. You, exactly. you can figure out a better way to do this, Brad. But the fact that after that initial flurry of everybody digging into it. And we heard some more details so that we had an idea of what happened. Because I went on a radio show in Mobile the same day I talked to you guys. And they were like, you wouldn't fire him for just this, right? I'm like, well, there's, yeah, there has to be something else. Well, we heard the something else. He was an active participant. Like, he told the guy. He was on the phone with the guy when the bet was placed. Um, the fact that we have not heard anything in this long tells me the feds have shut this whole thing up. Fair. I, I mean, maybe I was more this, thinking that's with... That's speculation. That's not me reporting that. That's speculation. But... <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe when I asked the question, I was more saying like, at what point does the the team the cloud oh, the does team. It get to the team and oh. the bottom fall out with the team because your coach isn't there? I mean, you did a phenomenal job against a really good Vanderbilt team to somehow band together and win a series. But at, at some point, this this has to wear on these on this team on these guys and has to show an effect, right? I mean, I would assume. Yeah, it's something where in the immediate aftermath of something like that. Like, there's no time to stop and think about it. You just have to play, right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's the day of your game against Vanderbilt. You, you, don't, you don't have time to think about how you feel about this. You just got to go out and you got to play, and they win that game 11-2. to uh, this, uh, this weekend, going to Texas A&M, spending all that time, uh, you know, in the plane, the bus, and all of that, if they have a stumble, it's going to be here. And looking at, to see how Alabama does this weekend – in College Station, I think will give us an idea of whether or not they can sustain what they did against Vanderbilt uh, through the rest of the season or not. Because they, they they close with Ole Miss at home. So, a bad team at home. Right. A&M's the best chance I think Auburn has of getting Alabama out from ahead of them in the hosting schedule. Auburn at Ole Miss this weekend. Home for Missouri next weekend to wrap up the regular season. We'll take an early break. We'll come back and wrap up the hour. Lindsey Crosby joining us in studio. Want to get your uh, final predictions for what Auburn could do down the stretch and what the postseason outlook could look like for this team in Hoover and then in the NCAA tournament. 334-321-1390. We'll wrap up hour number one with Lindsey Crosby when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the first hour here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, we're joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio 
for this first hour as uh, Ole Miss has struck back. It is a 2-1 game now. Auburn on top of Ole Miss in this game at the SEC tournament for softball there in Fayetteville. But, Lindsay, with Auburn baseball, they have a trip to Oxford. They start their series tonight versus Ole Miss on the road and then come home next weekend for Missouri. I'm sure we'll have you in between uh, now and a couple of weeks. I'm sure as long as you're available, maybe yeah. you'll come back next week. But, uh with the last two weekends of the of the regular season for Auburn baseball, with their eyes set on Hoover and now their eyes set on the postseason, what's a realistic expectation for Auburn fans? Because you already shut down the idea of hosting. Uh, we've had that discussion on here. If it's a possibility, yes, you'd have a lot to work to do. You talked about how a lot of it's not even in Auburn's control. What are your realistic expectations for what, Auburn fans should be looking at uh, as Auburn baseball finishes up play this weekend and the next weekend. So uh, we've talked on here about Ole Miss and Missouri are two of the worst teams in the conference. We like we've said that a few times today. I want to make sure if it's not a sweep this weekend, don't be mad about it. Okay, I mean Auburn should win the series. Auburn should take two two out of three games. Has they have a good chance to take all three, but. Swayze Field, in particular, and road matchups in the SEC in general are hard. I mean, the number one team in the country came in here and dropped two out of three to us, uh, and we have one of the smaller fields and the smaller one of the smaller home field advantages. Although you break out an eagle, holy cow! Yeah. I heard that Saturday that atmosphere was was as that was, good of a regular season atmosphere as Auburn may have ever had under Butch. I will argue that it was just as loud and rowdy in there on Saturday night as it was for regionals last year because I was in there for regionals. Now, uh, the last game of regionals was affected by rain, but the first game of regionals, that was a 1-4 matchup and we blew them out. But still, I'll argue that Saturday night was as fired up as that. So the Eagle helps, graduation helps juice the crowd a little bit. Um, Some LSU fans being dumb out in the stands helped juice the crowd a little bit. But uh, That was a whole ordeal. I honestly believe Auburn should win both of these series. Uh, I I think a reasonable expectation is 4-2 and in these matchups. Uh, you do have a midweek next week. So th- there is a Jacksonville State. They want vengeance there. I'm sure they want vengeance on that one. Uh, finishing the season with six out of the seven victories seems reasonable to me. Uh, five out of seven, still not going to complain as long as you don't drop the, the matchup at home versus Jacksonville State. Um, but I just want to, like, up front, it is very hard to sweep a team on the road in the SEC, but especially in Swayze Field. There's, that thing holds 11,500 people. It is going to be fired up mm-hmm. for these three games. Yeah, because especially because they're going to be clawing for their postseason lives yes. in that series. Yeah, uh, and s- go ahead. I am. I, I do want to bring up the midweek game that got canceled this week. It was supposed to be at the Hoover Met. How mm-hmm. much... Of an advantage would it have given Auburn to play in the Hoover, Net, Hoover Met, get a game in there, and obviously they didn't, so they don't have that same advantage uh, heading into to the SEC tournament here in a couple weeks. In case folks haven't noticed the pattern, Auburn tr- typically always plays Sanford late in the year at the Hoover Met. That's on purpose. They yes. want the pitchers, they want the hitters, they want everybody to be accustomed with the stadium, with the field, with the sight lines and everything like that, so that when the SEC tournament comes around, it's not unfamiliar territory. It's like when, when Bruce took Auburn down to South Florida to play in the Lightning Arena, which was where the SEC tournament was that year. Yep. Uh, it's kind of similar similar idea. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something they did, did that on purpose. Uh, a lot of this team, 
a lot of your key guys that have been fueling this team, your Bryson Wears, your Cole Fosters, your Casey Howells, these are veterans who have been there before. So it's not as, it doesn't hurt as much to not get it, but you would have loved some of your youngsters, your Ike Irish or your newcomers, your Cooper McMurray's to have a chance to be there. I feel like you have enough guys who have been there where it's not a big deal you lost that game. Um, it would have been nice for the RPI to get a victory in over them. I do believe that would have been classified as a neutral site, even though it's pretty essentially close to a home game for them. But either way, um, it's 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 a great idea. I'm glad that Auburn does that. I don't know why more teams don't do that. Yeah, I'm with you. And it, it stinks that you didn't get to play that. And you, you hate it for Sanford, too, because that's one of those games where uh, we talk about that a lot. Those smaller programs, Sanford, South Alabama, UAB, Troy, like they look forward to playing Auburn and Alabama every mm-hmm. year. Yeah, and uh, it's something where, oh, oh, pop-up rain shower in May in Hoover? No. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, it's, yeah. It's, I'm almost at the point where I'm, I'm kind of lobbying, talking about indoor stadiums. We need an indoor stadium in Hoover so we can actually play the SEC tournament in May Yeah, because of all the rain that always comes up and disrupts that thing. Well, speaking of that, will you be there for the SEC tournament? Will you be there to cover it? Going to do my best to make it out there, uh, to be there. We, part of it de- depends on when Auburn plays, obviously, but going to do my best to make it up to Hoover to go to that. Uh, just I think it'll be a lot of fun. That is Lindsey Crosby, who is the host of Locked on MLB Prospects, contributor for Auburn Daily, and... Your, what is your technical title for Braves today? Editor-in-Chief. Editor-in-Chief. Right. How about that? Well, tell everybody, uh, as we are getting out of here for hour number one, when you will be hopefully in Hoover covering that, uh, talking about the prospects in all things Major League Baseball, and, of course, the Braves. Tell everybody where they can keep up with you and everything you got going on, man. The, the hub for me and all of that stuff is on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, but AuburnDaily.com for... The- for the Auburn Tigers, Locked It In will be prospects wherever you get your podcasts for the minor leaguers and bravestoday.com for the Atlanta Braves. That's Lindsey Crosby. Hey, we appreciate you every single week. That's uh, That was a fast baseball power hour, huh? That was fantastic. Lindsey, always good to have you in the studio, man. We appreciate you and your time. Thanks for having me. That's Lindsey Crosby joining us for the entire first hour. But coming up at hour two, Carter and I will talk all things Auburn. We'll give you an update on Auburn softball as Ole Miss has kind of blown it open there in Fayetteville. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. Here on the line, here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as our number two gets underway on this Thursday, May 11th, 2023. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Bird here on ESPN 106.7. Our number two is underway. And, uh... Auburn softball falling apart in Fayetteville, Arkansas right now. Ole Miss is hot and ready to go. They've put up six runs on Auburn, and we're not even out of the third inning yet. And so uh, starting pitcher Maddie Pinta was pulled. Uh, they replaced her and then uh, just had a two-run uh, 
two-run shot over the left field wall for Ole Miss, and the damage just keeps on coming. They got another base runner. It is six to two Ole Miss over Auburn in, in their first game, Auburn's first game uh, for softball at the SEC tournament. This so is uh, not, this is not what they needed to to try to build that uh, ho- hosting resume. I I don't know exactly where they uh, rank in the RPI, but they were. On the fringe, they need to get this win. Otherwise, they're going to be a two-seed somewhere. Mm-hmm. They are 22nd in the RPI. Uh, they probably got to get up around that uh, top 18 mark yeah. to have a chance, I would say. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, 17, 18, somewhere in there. So still time left in the ballgame. It's only the third inning, but when you're go-to pitcher gets knocked out and Matty Pinta gets knocked out and then you give up a two-run shot right after that. Not a great look and not a great start for Auburn, but you're down by four with a chance to uh, come back there in Fayetteville. Speaking of the SEC softball tournament, did you see the announcement that Auburn made today about next year's SEC softball tournament? Is it at, at Jane B. Moore? It is. It'll be held at Jane B. Moore Field. Yeah, it rotates every every year to to different uh, parks, so it's about time that it's mm-hmm. that it's going to be in Auburn. Yeah, so uh, that's exciting for for Auburn that they'll host the SEC softball tournament next year uh, at Jane B. Moore Field, and so that announcement was made today. Uh, but we are underway here in hour number two. If you missed any of the first hour, uh, we have Lindsey Crosby who joined us in studio, host of Locked On MLB Prospects, contributor for Auburn daily uh, he's also with the braves today a uh, website and podcast we play their audio quite a bit here on the show and so he joined us for all of our number one to talk about the braves uh, look, take a look around major league baseball look at the braves division look at other divisions around baseball and then talking a little auburn baseball as well as they get ready to take on <laughs> Ole miss tonight uh, believe it or not they take on Ole miss tonight on the road for uh, that three-game series, and then uh, they'll wrap it up with Missouri at the end of next weekend. So if you missed any of our number one, lots of baseball talk with Lindsey Crosby. Uh, if you missed any of that, you can find it uh, on the podcast, commercial-free, right after the show today. Uh, just go to ESPNAU.com, click on the podcast center. It'll be right there, commercial-free, or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. But coming up here in hour number two, uh, just kind of going to go over everything that's been going on in Auburn athletics because so much is going on with baseball softball football and basketball news uh it's been pretty crazy and so we'll kind of recap all of that get into the biggest storylines uh and then coming up at 3 30 Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, will join us, and he'll talk about all the biggest news going on around the SEC, get his thoughts on what Auburn has done in the transfer portal, Auburn football and basketball, that is. I'm sure he'll have some thoughts on all of that, plus the biggest storylines around the SEC. So that's coming up at 3.30, but until then, phone lines are open. Give us a call. What's on your mind today? We'd love to hear from you on this Thursday afternoon, 334-321-1390. That number again is 334-321-1390. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to hear about? We'd love to hear from you. Anything on your mind in the sports world, you can call in, be a part of the show, and be on the line. 334-321-1390. It's just a busy time in the sports world, man. Yeah, um, and I was just looking it up because I know it's it's dropped this week. I've seen people talking about it. Uh, the DraftKings dropped their SEC win totals this I week. I saw that. that. Let's talk about that. Have we, have we talked about that? Yet? We have not, and we can get into that a little bit. It's probably a great conversation for tomorrow's show as well because it'll be wide open, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that, but we can get into that. I'm good for that. So let's get into what that has to be because 
There's some interesting numbers on there. And and again, I, now that you bring that up, I would really like to talk about this tomorrow too because we'll have a lot of time. But let's get into it because you have, obviously, Georgia at the top. I believe it was, what, 11, 11 and, a half? and a half? So if they lose a game, they do not cover that? Mm-hmm. But there's some really big surprises on there as well with, with all of the teams in the SEC. I think there are multiple that I would go over on. I think there's multiple I would go under on. And then, of course, there's a couple. It is Vegas. So uh, there's a couple that I probably wouldn't touch because it's probably pretty accurate. But uh What's your biggest surprise on there? We'll start biggest surprise for you on the SEC win totals according to DraftKings. I don't know how, looking at Ole Miss's schedule, you can say seven and a half. That Ole Miss team is not getting, they're not going to a bowl game. They're not. They're not going to a bowl game. I don't know how, how you could possibly look at the, what they've lost on that defense. I don't think they've gotten that much better in recruiting. The transfer portal, yeah, it's been good, but again, I come back to this. You brought in two quarterbacks, and they both lost to the incumbent starter. Like, you brought those guys in to improve the team. Only one of them is going to be on the field at a time. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, having two transfer quarterbacks is great, but when they're not on the field, it doesn't do you anything. I mean, I guess it elevates the competition in the room, and Dart could get better. You... I don't think Zach is Zach Evans still still there at at Ole Miss. I cannot recall. Let's see, is I, Zach Evans? I don't think so. He's with the Rams. So I Zach Evans say, is I, gone. I didn't think he was. Your number one receiver is gone. I'm very curious to see what this Ole Miss team looks like. Yes, you have Quinshawn Judkins, who's great. He's great. But I'm not sure this team is going to be as dynamic as people think. And it's set at seven and a half for Ole Miss. Seven and a half. They There's have no the shot. There's no shot. Fifth highest uh, tied for the fifth highest total in the uh, conference. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the one. So that's your biggest surprise. My biggest surprise is. Oh goodness, my biggest surprise is. See, I have a couple of them. I'm going to pick Arkansas at seven and a half. I don't think Arkansas gets seven wins this year. I don't think they get eight wins this year. I think Arkansas is a six and six football team. And, and I say that without really knowing their schedule. I'm saying that just because of what the team is and, and what they don't have skill wise and what they don't have talent wise. And knowing what bad last year, the defense was one of the worst in college football last year, and it hasn't gotten a whole lot better. So, just thinking of what their team is, I'm going that they are a six and six team. And as I pull their schedule up, Western Carolina, sure, Kent State, sure, they got BYU because you remember they went to BYU last year. I'll give them that. You start three and probably win that game, but that's the start of a gauntlet there that's going to be really difficult at LSU. Loss. Home for Texas A&M, probably a loss. At Ole Miss, coin flip. At Alabama, loss. Home for Mississippi State, coin flip. At Florida, coin flip. Auburn, loss. FIU, sure. And Missouri, coin flip. There's a lot of if games on there for Arkansas, and I just don't know if they have the skill set. I don't know if they have the coaching, Carter, to get those coin flip type of games. So Arkansas is not winning seven and a half games this year. Give me the under for the Razorbacks. 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting one for sure. Um, when I look through this list, I don't I don't understand how you expect Arkansas to flirt with eight wins. I don't understand how you expect Mississippi State to flirt with seven wins. I think South Carolina's going to go over. I think South Carolina. I think South Carolina's going to be sneaky good. And I've been extremely critical of that South Carolina program in the last two years. I have not thought they've been they have been a special program. But what they put together at the end of the year this past year, I think they might be good. Their total, according to, okay, we're looking at uh, DraftKings released their their, their win totals for the SEC game is going to be awesome. Yes, at North South, Carolina. No, it's South Carolina, UNC in Charlotte at oh. Bank of America Stadium. That's even that better. game's going to be awesome. That's fantastic. That's opening weekend too. That is. Probably one of the better games on opening weekend because if you look at the two, like the first two weekends of college football, there's very, very few good games. Like there are just not that many good games. And so I'm excited about South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, give me South Carolina as of right now. Sure. You, I'll, I'll take South Carolina in that. You get the Furman win. Sure. I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to get UNC because really, Drake, okay. Drake May's better than Rattler and. I think that you that UNC defense was horrendous last year. Yeah, under under Gene Chizik. But I think with Phil Longo leaving, go to Wisconsin. Which you want to talk about the weirdest fit possible? Uh, that situation with Luke Fickle, a defensive minded guy, going to Wisconsin, bringing in a spread offense guy who is I'm going to score as many points as possible at Wisconsin. To the detriment of my defense is a weird, weird, weird fit. I'm curious to see what that looks like, but I think that Gene Chizik defense has to bounce back a little bit because Phil Longo's not there making his life so difficult. That's fair. That's fair. That's going to be a really, really good game. And so you could put that on a coin flip. I'm going to take South Carolina, but my my mind very well may change when uh, September 1st, that Friday, rolls around before the game on Saturday. Here's a question for you with South Carolina. Kentucky at home. South Carolina win, right? I think you've got a better quarterback. In, I think Rattler's best is better than Leary's best. And Leary was dealing with some injuries last year, and that was a question mark heading into the portal. And I just want to see what Leary looks like before I can say that he's going to be a better player than Rattler. Yeah, that's a really, really good game. I mean, that's really interesting. Uh, South Carolina within, at Texas a and That's a toss-up. I think South Carolina can make some noise. I think they I think they win that game. I think they can I make some noise. Because also, well, one, I think Jimbo Fisher is a joke of a coach. I'm just gonna level with you. I don't think he's good. I don't I think I think he benefited from three consecutive first round quarterbacks at FSU, one of which was generationally talented. They recruited really well during that period, and as soon as you saw Jameis Winston leave. The decline started, yeah, and it came fast at the end. And he has not figured it out at A and M. And I come back to Bobby Petrino's never the answer. I will say this: in until they in, until that team this year Implodes. makes it to the college football playoff, I will die on the hill. Bobby Petrino is not the answer. I'm with you. And so South Carolina going at Texas A and M in late October. How exciting could that game be if A and M? wins a couple games, and they're actually a solid team, a top 15 team. South Carolina may be a top 25 South team. South Carolina at home versus Clemson. End of the year. I have to see what Clemson looks like. 
I got to see what Clemson looks like. Can they relock and reload? Can Clemson get better? Can they take South that Carolina step went up to their again? Place and beat them last year. I know. I know. I think South Carolina beats them. There are two games on South Carolina's schedule. The two toughest games they're going to lose at Georgia, at Tennessee. They will lose those games no matter what. Other than that, home for Florida at A and M, they're and home for Clemson. Going to drag Florida in that game. It's going to be a blowout. It won't. It won't be close. We're we're we're, we're talking. I'm not a, ready to say that yet. We're talking a 42-21 game. Maybe uh, I'm not ready to see, say that yet. Very well, could happen, but I'm not ready to say that yet. Well, I, I have two words for you, Graham Mertz. That's all I should have to say. The South Carolina's defense. Florida isn't has the. It's better than Florida's. Florida's Florida's been soft for a while now. I agree, and I don't think Billy. I think Billy Napier's in over his head right now, and not all of it is his fault. Which exactly, not I hate that for him. I do. Fault. I hate that. There's uh, some Dan Mullen lingering issues. There's some off field issues with their nil. There's the that fan base is radically impatient. He walked into more of a dysfunctional mess than I think he was bargaining for. And while I think he can be a good coach, I don't think it's going to happen to Florida. And at this point in time, you're starting to wonder. Is Florida like subtly becoming Texas ish? Think about it. Think about it. Yeah, but the last coach that had sustained high level success is Urban Meyer. Yeah, but right now the expectations are not really there for Florida. Outside of Florida fans, nobody around the SEC expects Florida to be any good. Their win total is five and a half. They they went to the SEC championship game a bunch. Recently, they went with Kyle Trask. They had a Heisman finalist and a first-round draft pick at tight end who was two first-round draft picks on that offense. And you would have thought they would have finished, like, they figure out ways. They figure out ways to fall on their face. Yes, but what I'm saying is... And at Florida, you should not do that. I'm with you. Florida should always be good. Florida should always be one of the top four teams in the SEC combined. They should always be that. But I think trying to make the Florida-Texas comparison, Texas gets the hype every single year. Think about the last 10 years. Texas is always in the college football playoff conversation. Always. Somebody always picks Texas to win the Big 12 and to make the college football playoff. They've yet to do it. I'm not saying they are exactly... Texas. I'm saying they're becoming Texas-ish because there's some 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 highs and all like 2019. Florida goes 11 and two, brings back Trask, brings back Pitts, brings back Tony. You would have thought that team's gonna win the East with and that offense was unbelievable. Yeah, and they go eight and four. Yeah, they take a step backward. And they've just been going backwards ever since. And, and and so, like, what I'm saying is, compared to the expectations, compared to what they should be able to do with their location, mm-hmm. which is the same thing is true with Texas, you're underperforming. I That's mean, That's fair. I'll give you that. Muschamp, McIlwain, Mullen, and now Napier all in a row, who there have been some highs. McIlwain took you to multiple SEC championship games. Will Muschamp took you to a uh, Sugar Bowl. Mullen won 10 and 11 games back-to-back, took you to a Peach and Orange Bowl, took you to an SEC Championship game. They all fall off suddenly, and Napier may not get the chance to fall off suddenly, 
because he might go six and seven and five and seven back to back years and get fired. Yeah, and again, their win total is five and a half. Man, second lowest in the SEC. That's the only the only yeah. the only team they're looking down at is Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt is in like a fifteen year rebuild. And also, Vanderbilt is going over their win total. By the way, three and a half. That's yeah. disrespectful, man. That is disrespectful for what's happening at Vanderbilt right now. I get it's Vanderbilt well, football. I get it. They're okay. getting four wins this year. They're getting three for sure because their first three games, Hawaii, Alabama A&M, first four games, at Wake Forest. It's challenging, but Sam Hartman's not there. Yeah. But Sam Hartman's not there. I think it's going to be a more competitive game than I think people realize when they, you look at the records in recent years. UNLV on the road. You should beat Hawaii. You should beat Alabama A&M. You should beat UNLV. So Vegas is saying of the other nine games at Wake, all your East teams, of which you get Kentucky, Missouri at home right after the UNLV game. You get a Florida team that you definitely don't believe in. If, if, you, if you beat Wake Forest, you're 4-0 before you start conference play. With you're Kentucky a, and Missouri back-to-back. You're looking at a bowl game. You're looking at a bowl game for the Commodores. They're oh, no, going over three and a they, half wins. Six they, wins is a possibility for Vanderbilt. No. Absolutely not. I think it's possible. Absolutely not. I think so. Absolutely, because I don't think... Because here's the back half of the schedule. Georgia, off week at Ole Miss. Auburn at home uh, at South Carolina, off week at Tennessee. You yeah. are, there's not a single win there. No, you're not getting any of There's not wins. a single win there. Yeah. And so you're... You're in order to get to a bowl game. You're having to split at Wake, Kentucky at home, Missouri at home, at Florida, which is a tough ask for Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's getting better, and Clark Lee deserves a ton of credit. But I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, they'd have to start really, really hot. They would. They'd have to start really, really hot. Remember Three and a half they, wins is disrespectful, though. Blew out Hawaii, and everybody thought they were going to be like sneaky awesome. <laughs> and I yeah. said, "Hang on, Hawaii is one of the worst programs on earth." Yeah, they literally are playing in a high school stadium because their their stadium is condemned. Yeah, all I'm saying they won by 53 in week zero last year, oh, and know. everybody lost their minds. Yeah, oh, I remember, I remember. And look, all I'm saying is three and a half is extremely disrespectful for Vanderbilt. We'll talk some more about this when we come back. We got to get to our first break. We'll talk a lot more about this tomorrow on tomorrow's show because we can we can really dive into this, especially with Auburn. Their number. Six and a half. We'll touch on that really quickly when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, welcome back into the Thursday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins alongside me is Carter Bird. We got a few minutes before Chris Gordy, uh, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, will join us. And uh, we'll talk to him about everything going on around the SEC, including some of these win totals, uh, which, again, we're kind of talking about right now. We will continue talking about these tomorrow. I want to do a really big, deep dive tomorrow in what the projected win totals, according to DraftKings, uh, the, these are the betting odds right now. Now, the betting lines for uh, the SEC teams coming up in football this year, their win totals. The ones that have stuck out to us, uh, you have Georgia at 11.5. And and so, literally, if they lose a game, they would go under. But, I mean, you look at that schedule, man. I don't know where they're going to lose, besides in the playoffs somewhere. Uh, I'm interested to see Alabama at 10.5. I go under on that. 
Uh, As of right now, I go under on Alabama 10.5. I'm going over on LSU at 9.5. I go under Tennessee at 9.5. I think Tennessee would be an 8-4 team. Uh, I mean, I gotta, I gotta look harder at their schedule. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, you're beating Virginia, you're beating Austin P, you're beating Florida. Ironically, of your first four games, I think your toughest one is at home against UTSA. That is some. That is some. <laughs> now, so like they're, they're that's a statement, right? They there. are going to be well. UTSA has been a really good program, but they're going to be five and zero going into their bye week. Come out of bye week, eight and M at home. I think they'll they'll win that. I mean, you get UConn, who's not very good. I know they made a bowl game, but if you go deep, dig deeper on that, that UConn team was not good. I think they're getting the nine wins because I think you're beating Vanderbilt. I think you're beating Missouri, but I think you're beating UConn. I think you're, I think they're going ten and two. Ten and two for Tennessee. That'd be, that'd be huge for them to go think, back to back ten your, win seasons. Your losses are Georgia and at Alabama, and that's it. I think that is. Who's their it. other West crossover? A and M. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I just, dude, I just don't know what A and M's going to be. Uh, I don't know. Their win total seven and fair. a half. Um, and, and that's the wild card in the entire SEC. Is what will Texas A and M be? Uh, it's going to be game week two is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to find out which mess is less of a mess as A and M goes on the road and takes on Miami. Mm. Because we thought that was an impressive win last year for A&M. And they both turned out to be hot garbage. Yeah. And disasters. Mm-hmm. Tyler Van Dyke, Connor Wigman, Wigman. I'll be interested to see what happens there. And I think that, for me, if they go to Miami and lose, this A&M team is nothing special. And they're going... Six and six, seven and five, maybe. I haven't looked at their full their full schedule in detail. I know we've talked about it a few times. Uh, you look at it for yeah for twenty twenty three, starting with Miami. Um, you've got a couple of their of their non con games, right? I mean, it's just if Auburn finds I just a don't way, know, man. Auburn is four and two when Ole Miss comes to town. I think the atmosphere at that game is going to be awesome. It will be um, the first home game in October. I think Auburn gets that one done and Mississippi State back-to-back and Vanderbilt. And, and at that point, you're kind of rolling. I think you you take down Arkansas. There is a stretch here after LSU before Alabama where I think Auburn has a chance to reel off five consecutive wins. I think it's possible. I do. And one of those is at home against A&M, and I've got their schedule pulled up. Well, no, you're, you're, on, you're on the road to A&M in week four. Excuse me, you're right. Apologies. A&M has New Mexico at Miami. ULM, Auburn, Arkansas before playing Alabama and Tennessee back to back. I just don't know. I mean, AM could be solid. I don't see them. What's their win total? Seven and a half, according to DraftKings. I just don't know if I can find eight wins on here to go over that. I can't find eight wins on their schedule. You have to finish the year at LSU? What a disaster. What a disaster that is for I Jimbo Fisher. Beat, if you beat Miami, I think if you're an AM fan, you feel pretty good about playing Auburn at home. I'm with you on that. And so Auburn at home, Arkansas at home, Alabama, for some reason, you make that game interesting every time, and you get it at home. Your other South East Carolina crossover home, is South Carolina. Missouri, Mississippi State at home. Like, there are wins to be had. You're not beating LSU. I don't think you're beating Alabama. I think it's going to be really a tough ask to ask you to beat Tennessee on the road. 
Some interesting SEC football win totals. We'll talk about it some more tomorrow. But Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, joins the show when we come back. With Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio. Solo in the last uh, 30 minutes here as Jacob had to uh, leave to go to a little little uh, company event. But we are joined by our typical Thursday second hour guest, Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. Chris, welcome in. How How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good, man. We're uh, yeah, we've got some softball postseason going on. We got some uh, you know last weekend of baseball season coming up. We'll get into the baseball ACC tournament. Uh, spring meetings will be here before we know it. So yeah, man, it's uh, we're getting ever so closer to to another football season. Yeah, and I guess with with spring meetings coming on and or coming soon, and everybody uh, has wrapped up their springs, and really, I mean, most schools have wrapped up their uh, their semesters. What are what are some some kind of storylines that you have heading into those spring meetings, things that you're expecting to to hear about uh, in the SEC? Well, I think the big one, obviously, is going to be the, the scheduling decision on, on what you're going to do moving forward with football. Um, you know, I did get clarification about a week ago. Both Texas and Oklahoma will have a voice at the table. Uh, they'll be sending their, you know, either school presidents or representatives there. And they're going to come to some kind of agreement. You got to think, uh, Greg Sankey had kind of said, you know, that was going to be the plan here sometime this spring before the summer to get it done. And it looks like it's going to kind of come down to the wire here. The, uh, you know, the start of the, of the official year with the uh, SEC spring meetings, which it's so funny they call them that. I mean, it's, it's basically the summer, like it's the first, last week of May into the first week of June. But yeah, we'll have some kind of resolution. I think most people kind of, it's, it's kind of what we expect that they'll announce. They're going to go to a nine-game SEC schedule uh, with most likely three permanent, you know, three permanent teams, and then all the rest of the schedule rotates. But I've been told it's not a lock. It, it could mm-hmm. be something different. They could just do a two, two, uh, a two-team rivalry. They could decide to table the nine-game uh, schedule and just stick with eight. So there's there's a lot of options on the table. But at least from what I've heard, the the most likely is they go with that plan that's kind of been out there. When when they go to make this decision, we've we've heard a lot about trying to preserve rivalries and things like that. Do you think that that takes precedence, or is there a little bit of trying to make it as even as possible? Because especially in a expanded playoff, the SEC may have a chance to take uh, what four, five, six spots with with how highly ranked the SEC is every year and 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 how well respected the conference is. Yeah, so there's two things that I know Greg Sankey, and, and he told me this, I think, at SEC Media Days last year, was the, the two biggest things they want to do is they want to preserve, one, preserve ri- the, the biggest rivalries, but two, also get a rotation going on the schedule where we're not going, you know, 10 years without a team playing another team. You know, like, what was it, last year Alabama went to the Swamp, and they hadn't been there forever. You know, it's, we've got to get away from that. And adding two more teams makes that more difficult, right? It's, it becomes a little bit harder. So that's where, you know, I think they're going to they're gonna probably introduce and say we're doing away with the SEC East and SEC West. Uh, we're just going to go with everybody plays everybody. Every team's going to have your three permanent rivalries, so we'll preserve some of those. 
but then everything else will rotate, you know, and, and you'll play at, le- at least you'll play every team in the SEC at least every other year. And okay. every year, you know, on a full on a four year rotation, you will play, you know, let's say like Auburn will play in Austin sometime in the next two years, and sometime in the next four years, the Longhorns will come to to Jordan Harris. So like that's mm-hmm. to me that's the fairest way to do it. You get to see everybody a little bit more often, and you get to preserve from the, some of the rivalries. But I know there's going to be a lot of complainings because because not all rivalries are created equal. You know, I know Nick Saban had kind of voiced some displeasure saying. Wait, so you're telling me I'm going to have to play, you know, Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU, you know, as my permanent rivals? Well, yeah, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles. That's how it falls. So, again, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out, but I expect we'll get some resolution out of that in the next three weeks. Yeah, I don't think uh, on this side of the state, in the Auburn side, there's going to be uh, much sympathy for Nick Saban in Alabama. I mean, I can think back to 2019 where Auburn played six of the top 11 teams in the country. Speaking of Auburn football, since we've talked last, Auburn got some uh, big news in the transfer portal. I guess a few different pieces of news, but the biggest one being Peyton Thorne, the Michigan State quarterback, uh, announced that he is transferring to Auburn. What does he bring to the table for Auburn, and how does that change the dynamic in the quarterback room? Yeah, it, I mean, it brings stability. Um, you know, I was I was hearing a week ago that, that you know, Thorne was still on the table, Casey Thompson, you know, they, they, it felt like they were going to get one of them, and, and they did. And I think a lot of Auburn fans, at least ones I saw on social media, were saying, like, I don't care who it is, let's just get one to get some kind of better production at the quarterback spot. And I think they did that. And kudos to Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery not resting on their laurels. They could have just said, hey, look, you know, the roster's the roster post-spring, and this is what we got. They didn't like what they saw overwhelmingly out of, you know, T.J. Finley and um, Robbie Ashford and, and Holden Garner. They said, we got to add another guy to that room. And they go get a guy with a lot of experience uh, in Peyton Thorne, a two-year start at Michigan State, very productive. Um, does he significantly improve Auburn's win total? I don't think so. But, you know, again, there's just something to be said about bringing in that stability at quarterback and bringing in that guy who has a lot of skins on the wall. No offense to Robbie Ashford. He played in some tough environments last year. But he, he just the, the running ability was great. The arm talent wasn't all the way there for, for Ashford. At least mm-hmm. with this guy with Thorne, you, you got the arm talent. And you got a guy who's, again, started a lot of games in the Big Ten and knows what it takes to, to win. So I like it. I think uh, there's a chance for him, you know, if, if everything clicks right, there's a chance he can be super productive in that mm-hmm. offense. I mean, we know that the Q-Free system is, is one that's very friendly for your quarterback and, and can help uh, support him and make a lot of throws. And I love that they go get Caleb Burton out of Ohio State, another guy added to the mix uh, at receiver, you know, where there's a lot of question marks. So, yeah, I mean, I think overwhelmingly, like, if we were just saying as bluntly as possible, Auburn Auburn football, their 2023 football team got a lot better here in the last week. Yeah, I mean, and you saw the addition of a second Tulsa offensive line uh, transfer in Jaden Muskrat. How much is landing a guy like Peyton Thorne, having that stability, like you mentioned, at the quarterback position, how much does that play into being able to land guys like Caleb Burton and Jaden Muskrat, and they're still in it for Montana Lamanius Craig, the receiver from Colorado, and Jair Shorter, the receiver from North Texas. So how much of an impact does Peyton Thorne have on those decisions in your mind? 
Yeah, it, it just, it, again, like it goes back to their idea of, of Hugh Freeze and company saying, keep adding. You know, I think, I think some teams kind of came out of spring and said, well, this is what we got. Uh, Hugh Freeze left that, the door open to the transfer portal and said, what else is out there? Where else can we upgrade? And I love that, you know, the O-line, as, as up and down as they were last year, you be a lot of new faces there, but, but it looks like they've actually got some depth now. So, like, if an injury or two happens or, you know, somebody gets benched because they're, they're, not, they're not pulling their load, like, they've got some depth, and, and that's, that, that's a far cry from where Auburn was just a year ago. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of new faces. It's, it's going to take a little time to gel and chemistry and all that to come together, but I think we're going to see a, a competitive Auburn football team this year, and that's why I thought it was so fascinating about the win total. You know, I think what they have them like six and a half. FanDuel has them. It's just, I mean, this could be this could be a six and six season. It could be a seven and five season. But it's all about what it looks like. You know, if it's a six and six season, what does six and six look like? Uh, a team that fights hard and you know loses a game on a field goal or loses this game last second. You know, what I mean, like mm-hmm. as long as you're competitive and we see an improved football team out there, it's not getting blown out. I think uh, I think they'll they'll be on the right track. With the schedule that Auburn has against UMass, Cal, Sanford to open the season, and you do get that game against Vanderbilt, and you have New Mexico State in there as well. How, I mean, this is maybe the easiest schedule Auburn's had in what feels like two decades. Um, I mean, what is what is the ceiling for this Auburn team with the way that Hugh Freeze has attacked recruiting, the, the transfer portal, and with this favorable by Auburn standard uh, schedule? Yeah, I, it's it's a tough, it's a, it's a nuanced conversation because we can say, I think they've done a great job. I think they've improved. Uh, I think the schedule's not that tough. You know, like we could say all that stuff, but still say like they're not there yet, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, I'm not jumping to, to make the, to call this a 10 win team. I mean, yeah, but like, that's fair. What's, this, what's the ceiling by my, by, by my standard? I'd say like nine wins would be the ceiling. Like you, you go out and win nine games in year one. With you freeze at Auburn, like that, that that would be huge. So, oh yeah, I would say you know I would say more six and six is the floor. Like you want at least a six and six is average, but that gets you to a bowl game. You go win the bowl game; it's a seven win season. I think everybody's feeling good about the path that you're on, uh, even though you know it's not a, a huge improvement in win total. That's where I just keep going back to you know what does it look like? Did you lose a couple of tough games that were close because? your field goal kicker missed an easy kick, you know, something like that where it's like, oh, okay, we're right there. But, yeah, again, like 7-5 and five to me, like if I'm an Auburn fan, I, I would say 7-5 and five is about where I'd like to be. Eight wins if I'm really kind of pushing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nine to me would be the absolute ceiling. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, when you uh, look at this, this Auburn program, uh, how excited should, should Auburn fans be with Hugh Freeze the way that he's – uh, made so much of an impact on the roster so far. I mean, we obviously haven't played any games, but with what he's done so far, I mean, how would you grade him, and how excited should should Auburn fans be? Yeah, I think he gets an A so far. I mean, just again, in, in the little work he was he was able to do from getting hired when he did, and you know, putting together that recruiting class real quick, like they did, and hitting the transfer portal. I, I, like I said, it's a passing grade for everything. I think the only complaint I would say is maybe you would have liked the, you know, if you could have gotten a higher caliber quarterback to come in. You know, I know Grayson McCall was was a rumor there for a while. Like, mm-hmm. you know, was there a guy out there that that could have been a absolute surefire, huge upgraded quarterback? I, I don't know. 
Um, you know, could they maybe have gotten another big time receiver or two? Maybe, but outside of that, I think they've done a great job. And I just think this is this is this season is about laying the foundation mm-hmm. of what Hugh Freeze back in the SEC is going to be and what Auburn football is going to be about in the future. And you know, like I said, go 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 seven and five, go win your bowl game, and then go get a top ten recruiting class next year. Like to me, that mm-hmm. that's going to be the biggest standard of where Hugh Freeze is judged, kind of not just the win total this year. But getting excitement around the program, getting a lot of the alums back, but also crushing and recruiting because we know how good of a recruiter mm-hmm. he's been. Like I said, he hit the ground running, get back at Auburn. But if you tell me right now, Auburn goes seven to five, they go win their bowl game, they get the eight wins, and then they finish eighth or ninth in, in recruiting going into the you know going into next year, man, it's uh, that really starts to set them up. Expectations start to rise. And um, you know, and then we're talking about that, the SEC expanding and the expanded playoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason why they we can't be talking about Auburn in the playoff conversation in 2024 if they continue on the right path. You brought up the win totals in the SEC. Or were there a couple that stuck out to you as as intriguing totals in, around this conference? I don't understand why everybody's so down on Florida. I, I mean, I get it. it was a rough year one for Billy Napier. The offense, the, the offense was fine with Anthony Richardson. The defense was terrible. They went out and made a big hire that they could steal Austin Armstrong. And we saw in the spring game, that defense looked markedly improved. I mean, aggressive, getting after it. Uh, they've got questions on at quarterback, I mean, or the offense now. I mean, you lose Anthony Richardson, you get Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. He's good, not great. But, you know, when I see five and a half, I'm like, if Florida can't go six and six in Billy Napier's second year, and he's not the guy. Like, let's go ahead and part ways now. Because, <laughs> dude, like, you can't win six games at Florida with all the resources you have. Um, that one screams out to me. Like, I, I would jump all over Florida over over five and a half. Because, again, uh, you're Florida. You can't, bare minimum should be six and six. That, and that should be considered an awful year for the Florida Gators. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that one stood out. Vandy at three and a half, depending on what book you're looking at. I, I mean, I think Vandy should get the four wins. I mean, there's a chance they could go four and zero in their four uh, conference games. Wouldn't that be something? And it, yeah, and even if it, let's say they go three and one and lose at Wake Forest, then all you're looking for is one SEC win. And they play Missouri, they play Kentucky. I mean, they, there's a chance they'll still one. They just stole two last year. They beat Kentucky and Florida last year. So uh, the Vandy win total I would go over on. Um, the other ones are just intriguing, like LSU, Georgia, Alabama. Those are just all tough because you just don't know, man. I mean, it's like, uh, will Georgia go undefeated again this year? It's probably likely. I mean, I just don't see with what they got coming back and how this schedule sets, sets up. I, I would probably probably go over on Georgia, but you know, all the other ones I thought were pretty were, were pretty spot on. I, you know, I could make a case for anybody from South Carolina to. Um, you know, Kentucky, I mean, seven, can they get to eight wins? It seems like it'd be pretty tough. So I thought all the lines were pretty spot on. So you're you're saying with Florida, I can put it on a quote graphic, that if Florida doesn't hit the over on the uh, win total, then B- Billy Napier's done in Gainesville? I mean, I just like the, the standard of excellence that that program has, has played with since from Spurrier to, to Urban Meyer winning the, the two championships, and then, you know, they've even they've gone through all these different coaches throughout the years and but like even bad years under Muschamp and stuff was like seven and five was like a bad year. So mm-hmm. um yeah, I just think that if, if if Napier can't get to 
He just went, what, six and six, six and seven with the bowl loss. If he can't get to six and six this season, they got major issues there. That is Florida. So, yeah, I would say Billy Napier, if you can't, if you can't win at least seven games or six or seven games at Florida this year, you're not cut out to coach in the SEC. Fair enough. Chris, appreciate your time. Where can everybody keep track of you and everything you have going on? Yeah, Locked on SEC, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We've got the episode up today talking about some of the bowl projections on where people were slated to uh, where they projected some of the bowl games. I want to say they had uh, 24-7 sports. They had Auburn and I want to say the, the Birmingham Bowl versus Memphis. Not all that exciting, but uh, nonetheless, we were kind of just jumping through and making some predictions. And I, the thing that just sets me off most guys is they've got one SEC team and two Big Ten teams in the playoff again. Michigan's schedule is so charm and soft. I just think it's a joke <laughs> if Michigan runs the table, loses to Ohio State, gets to the playoff again. Yeah, I mean, it, they've they've played a really weak out-of-conference the, the past few years for sure. Well, Chris, appreciate it. We will talk to you uh, next week, all, all, all right? Yeah, man, talk to you then. Appreciate it. That was Chris Gordy of Locked on SEC. We need to hit our final break here of the Thursday edition of On the Line. When we come back, we will wrap up the show and get you set for the drive. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of On the Line. Final segment here, Carter Bird, solo in the last 30 minutes in the Auburn Network studio. Uh, as Jacob Goins had to go to an event uh, with our with our company here, so he's out on the road. Uh, we just got off the phone with Chris Gordy talking about uh, the SEC. SEC spring meetings coming up uh, where they're going to decide on uh, a – they're going to decide on a – schedule format for the new SEC. Uh, And then we talked about Auburn and the additions of Peyton Thorne, Caleb Burton, uh, what, what, Peyton Thorne brings that quarterback room, what he brings to this Auburn roster, uh, even Jaden Muskrat as well. And the impact that adding a, a uh, solid quarterback, somebody, you know, you can rely on how that can affect the decision of some of these other players. Uh, We also talked a little bit about expectations for Auburn going into the 23 season. Uh, Chris thinks the ceiling is nine wins. Uh, the floor is six wins. I think that's pretty safe. I think that's pretty good. Uh, I think that that's a good place to put it for Auburn. I think it would be, for me a little bit, six and six would be disappointing. Uh, I know at A&M, Georgia, at LSU, three of those games happening in four weeks. You do get the off week before LSU. Uh, it's going to be a challenge. Those three games are. Uh, but if you can navigate that and and sneak one of those, then I think this Auburn season under Hugh Freeze in year one has a chance to be really good. And, I mean, keep in mind, all year ones are not created equal. This uh, Hugh Freeze walked into a bear, a kitchen with a bear cupboard, and he had to rebuild it. He had to, I mean, that's why you've seen Auburn bring in, I think, 37, 38 players this year via high school, uh, junior college, and the transfer portal. The roster needed to overturn. He overturned it a fair amount, a lot. This this roster's gotten a lot better, but it's still not there yet. I think 2024 
maybe the year that we we start talking about this being a Hugh Freeze team, depending on how many players he signs, how many players he goes and gets via the transfer portal. Uh, that'll be a much more indicative season of what the Hugh Freeze era is going to be like. Having said that, I think Auburn's going to go seven to five, eight and four. I, I'm leaning eight and four. I think that a couple things break your way. I think you can see Auburn have a really strong season. Chris also brought brought up that Florida over under at five and a half. This is where I disagree with him. I think that Florida team is going to be really, really bad, and they're going to get a rude awakening in Week One when they go on the road and take on Utah. And then they also, I mean, they have Tennessee at Kentucky, uh, at South Carolina, Georgia, uh, at LSU, at Missouri, Florida State at home. Um, those are all difficult games, and I don't see a lot of wins in those games. I mean, at Missouri, it's the most winnable game in that group. Um, and that's not even talking about Arkansas at home. It's going to be a long year for Billy Napier. And based on what Chris said, I don't expect Billy Napier to be the coach at Florida in 2024. That's going to do it for today here on On the Line. Coming up next, The Drive with Bill Cameron.